Hello, and thank you so much for listening to Breaking Pod. You know, when Josh and I started making this show over two years ago now, it was just single digit listeners per episode. And that was fun. Uh, And it was fine because we were just making it to really make something creative, make a piece of art that commented on what we thought was a fantastic, stupendous piece of art, and that is Breaking Bad. But since we've completed the show, I've been astounded to see the number of listeners just steadily increase. So thank you so much for, for finding this gem in the land of millions of podcasts that are out there. So anyway, thank you for listening. I wanted to say to you today that if you're interested in film at all, I have an exciting announcement for you. If you've listened to the final episode in Breaking Pod, you know that Josh and I teased a new project that was coming online. And I want to announce to you today that that is complete and we're releasing it now episode by episode. It is a limited run series called Real Life. And what it is, is it's a series that follows the making of a short film called Double Bondsman. And through interviews with the cast members, discussions with the writers, producers, and director, and on-the-ground audio from the film shoot itself, I'm taking you onto the ground floor of filmmaking. This project has been in the works for over a year, and I'm so excited to finally release it. If you want to hear episode one, you can just keep listening. I've appended it to this message. And if you want to listen to the rest, you can find Real Life wherever you get your podcasts. In the show notes, I've included links to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast players if you use something else. Uh, and hope that you enjoy. And if you do use Apple Podcasts, I'd appreciate a rating and review so it can help us reach more people. So once again, enjoy this episode of Real Life. I'd love it if you went over to Real Life and subscribed in your own app, and you can find links to do that in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to Breaking Pod. Have a great week. Welcome to Real Life, the podcast about making movies. Over these next episodes, we are following closely the production of a short film called Double Bondsman. Through interviews with the director, cast members, and production team, I'm bringing you onto the ground floor of filmmaking. This is episode one. It starts with an idea. As we start on this journey, understanding what it's like to make a movie and specifically what it's like to make Double Bondsman, I want to introduce you to the creative brain most responsible for this entire project, Chandler Ride. Chandler is the director of Double Bondsman and the writer of the script. He is someone who has been driving this idea forward from inception to completion. And uh, he's a really fascinating figure and a, a wonderful person to talk to. So I want to introduce you to him through this first episode and talk talk to him about what it's like to come up with the idea for a movie and what that creative process looks like. And it's obviously going to vary from person to person. But I was interested in talking to Chandler about what it was like for him with respect to Double Bondsman. Chandler's a young guy. You might be surprised at how young his he sounds on this podcast. But I would say that his youth belies his wisdom. He's been at this for a while, and he's, he's someone who's known for a long time that this is what he wants to do with his life. Uh, and, and I think he has some really good nuggets of wisdom in helping us understand what it's like to, to be a filmmaker. So without further ado, let's find out more about Chandler Ride. So I've been doing film specifically for I, about seven years. Um, I started doing uh filmmaking uh actually right when i graduated high school um and i before that was interested in some creative writing 
And so there was a transition period, you know, where I was I was reading a lot of literature. I was an English major in college, um, and I hit a point where I had to make a decision: Do I keep writing poetry? Do I keep trying to write a novel, maybe, or do I decide I'm just going to go all in with this video thing? And it really just happened organically, where I realized that what I loved doing and what I filled most of my time with uh, was uh, projects video projects with friends, stuff I was getting paid for. Once you have a camera, um, it's a very lucrative, or, well, I, w I shouldn't say lucrative, it's a very in-demand skill. And so if people know you as a, a filmmaker or even just a guy with a camera, people will come up to you, sometimes randomly on the internet, and say, hey, I have this thing that I need recorded. Do you do that? And, <laughs> and so I started doing that. And that kind of started turning into internship opportunities, uh, and then that turned into a job that I still have today um, at Hillsdale College, my alma mater. So I came to Hillsdale for school and then never left. Um, and uh, so I shoot a lot of content for Hillsdale College, um, done a lot of commercial type stuff, um, some very big stuff and some very small stuff. Um, and I did several kind of like student films in college, as well as uh, one um, more legit short film into the plains uh, after college, uh, or rather I shot it my senior year and finished it after I graduated. And uh, been doing, yeah, a lot of professional work for the past um, two years or so. And so this uh, is my fourth short film uh, and my, my second um, short film through uh, Kickstarter. Okay, Chandler, so that's a good high-level view of why you're a filmmaker. But tell me a little bit more about your motivations behind that. There's a line on your website that says, telling stories is the most human thing that we can do. Yeah. So talk to me about that quote, your conviction, and how that informs or why that motivates you to be a filmmaker. Yeah, so, um, I mean, first of all, that one sentence on my website came about because I knew that I needed to have like a catchy, <laughs> you know, uh, kind of line on my website, um, but I wanted it to be really meaningful. So I spent a lot of time thinking about it and I came up with that line, telling stories is one of the most human things we can do because um, I believe that it's something, first of all, that we've been doing as uh, the human race for forever. And uh, there's a certain uh, way in which stories kind of fly under the radar uh, where um, if you read something in the news or if you, uh, you know, watch, um, a, you know, a, a nonfiction piece or, or read a nonfiction piece, uh, you might be wondering what's the slant, what's the angle, um, what are they trying to get me to think? Um, and I think one of the beautiful things about storytelling is, and one of the reasons that I, I love watching movies and just encountering stories is that, um, it, it just, it gets to something really um, tactile about human experience and just kind of feeling. And um, it's, 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 it's really hard to put my finger on exactly. Um, but uh, my mom was, I mean, she is a therapist. And so growing up, um, she would always talk about psychology and emotion and, and these things that um, I don't think that necessarily other kids my age uh, were, were thinking about or talking about. And um, then, you know, also just in, in the course of 
uh, everyone's life, you encounter uh, particular difficulties. Um, and in my life, my, my parents got divorced when I was pretty young. Um, and so you just kind of start to put together these um, different emotional experiences and, and you start to realize um, that there are redemptive arcs in our lives. There are um, you know, moments of catharsis. Um, there are um, all the things that you would find in a story, all the plot elements uh, of a story, all the um, kind of literary devices, symbols, metaphor, uh, they all appear in our regular lives. You just have to look for them and you have to be patient because most of the time they don't show up until years later. Um, so I just started to realize in high school, I started to see some things, some uh, kind of narrative arcs in, in my life that uh, made sense to me um, and that I started to notice were really beautiful. Um, and, and so, I mean, for me, that's, that's a very providential thing um, that uh, for me, storytelling does have that kind of deep um, connection to knowing that um, the providence of God works through our lives. And, and it's really thrilling to get to see when that story kind of links up and you realize, okay, you know, here's kind of a, a narrative unit that I see in my life where there, here is a beginning, middle and end, and here's the struggle and, you know, here's the protagonist and, and that kind of thing. Now tell me about this project, Double Bondsman. How did you come up with the idea? What was that, what was that process like? Was it something that came to you overnight or was this a long, slow burn? So in October, of 2019, uh, I was working on a different film project. Uh, this one was called The Frosty King. Um, and it was intriguing to me because it was uh, kind of based um, very loosely on a, a story, a local legend that I'd heard in my small town of Hillsdale, Michigan. And so I just started getting interested in this idea of kind of taking these um, seemingly larger than life uh, but real stories and seeing what I could do with them in a film. Um, but I got very frustrated with Frosty King. Um, and I was just having a hard time. I got writer's block. It was my first time trying to write a narrative feature. And so in October of 2019, I was at a friend's house. It was vacation. Um, and I was telling this friend about Frosty King and the troubles I was having with it. And sooner or later, this friend asked me this question have I told you about our neighbors? Um, and he tells me about their neighbors who are in the thir their 30s, they're doing DoorDash, and they've recently decided to pr pursue a career in bounty hunting. And I knew in that moment that that was a great starting place for a short film. And I told him that. But I didn't really intend to write it. At the time, I was working on Frosty King. And I had no idea that a few months later, I would use that idea about the bounty hunters to begin what would be uh, the largest narrative film that I've yet attempted. Now, if we flash forward to 20 or November 2019, I got this email from a journalism professor at work. Uh, he said, hi, Chandler, we're hosting a guest this week on campus. His name is Michael Walsh. He's here because uh, of his journalism, uh, but he also has a successful career as a movie screenwriter. Um, do you want to meet him? I'd be pleased to set something up. So I agreed, and a few days later, we're sitting across from each other and I'm pretty nervous because this was like our first interaction and he was complaining about his headache all morning. So I could tell he wasn't in a great mood and I also couldn't tell if it was just his personality, but he seemed a bit harsh. 
uh, he seemed kind of worn out uh, from years of dealing with Hollywood executives who really only wanted to screw him over and take his scripts. He seemed cynical, but maybe perhaps honest. So he compared screenwriting to prostitution, which kind of took me back for a moment. But he said, they only want you for what you can do. And they woo you and they tell you how great you are. But then once you've done the deed and you've taken the money, they toss you out. So at this point in the conversation, I was feeling kind of flustered. And I felt like he was trying to convince me not to get into movies. Uh, it wasn't the kind of meeting that I thought it would be. So when he finally asked me, so, I mean, what kind of movies do you want to make? I totally fumbled. I said, I want to make movies that have a real sense of place. That was the wrong answer. He said, place? Place doesn't matter. That's a, that's, not a, that's a setting. That's not a story. And then he went on for five or six minutes to tell me about how The Godfather has nothing to do with the mafia or with New York or with the 1940s, that it's a movie about a man who loves his family so much that he destroys it. You spend time with your family? Sure I do. Good. Because a man who doesn't spend time with his family can never be a real man. And there's something kind of elegant about how simply he was able to put the dramatic action of the story. So I tried again, and I told him about the ice cream story, Frosty King. And that went a little better, but still, he dug deeper. What's the point? Summarize the dramatic action in a sentence. And I couldn't. So I left the meeting feeling embarrassed and confused. And honestly, after that, I wasn't able to write another page of Frosty King. Um, so then a month later, I'm sitting down on a Saturday after hours of struggling with Frosty King and not making any progress. I thought, what if I just started something else? What if I took this idea that I heard about these twin brothers who have a dream? And what if I just wrote that instead? Um, I was able to write the first few pages right there in like an hour. It was exhilarating. That was the most progress I'd made on a script in at least a month or two. Um, and that's when I knew that this would be my next project. So I finished the first draft within a couple of weeks. I was on draft two shortly after, and it felt so good to finally have traction again, uh, to ha have a concept that I felt sound. And once I had the characters, I decided to keep things pretty simple. Okay, given their dream, they want to become bounty hunters. Given their job, they deliver food. What do they see? when they open a door. It's an interesting setup because really you can open a door and see anything. So what kind of confirms their dream? And the answer was simple, a dead body. And what do they do? Well, they can't do what a normal person would do and you know, like call the cops or something. They have to decide that this is their chance. This is their dream come true, not a worst case scenario. And so suddenly, I, I felt like I had a great log line, and I had a, a solid story structure. Um, the writing felt pretty easy. I had setup. I had an exciting event. Uh, I was able to, you know, I had after, I won't go into spoilers quite yet, but, you know, there's rising action, there's a climax and a falling action, and then there's kind of this denouement. Um, and the fact that it was twin brothers meant that I could lean into the comedy of it. Uh, and comedy has been something that I've been interested in learning more about and practicing more. Um, and so then once I knew that, okay, I can go a little bit more broad with this. I don't have to be realistic about the concept necessarily or about all the story elements. Um, then it became easy to have, to have fun. 
And so I couldn't help but remember what uh, Michael Walsh had told me. Summarize the main dramatic action in a single sentence. Devil Bondsman is a film about twin brothers who believe in their dreams so much that it warps the way they see the world and causes them to fall into all kinds of trouble. The concept felt deep enough to be meaningful, but fun enough to be a great elevator pitch. And that's what I found over the next however many weeks and months as I started talking about the project. It felt so easy to give the elevator pitch because I saw that as soon as I explained the basic concept, some people laughed. They smiled. You know, they chuckled. They, th they said, oh, that sounds so interesting. And that really helped confirm for me that, okay, this is, this is on solid ground. Now, my listeners may not be familiar with the idea of a log line, but a log line is a very short summary, normally one or two sentences, of a film or show. And it does two things. It, one, hooks the potential viewer into being interested in that story. And two, it describes the central conflict of the story. So I'm going to read the log line for Double Bondsman, and then I have another question for you, Chandler. But the log line for Double Bondsman is this. One night, while delivering food for DoorDash, deadbeat twin brothers, who are aspiring bounty hunters, hear a gunshot, discover a body, and decide to track down the killer in order to prove their worth as bounty hunters. So that's the log line. That's where your ideation eventually led to, and obviously the entire screenplay behind that very brief log line. But I want to dig under the surface on this ideation question a little bit more. And ask you, Chandler, what other sources of inspiration you use? They could be literary. They could be other film sources, uh, just life experiences, perhaps. What fed into the creative process for you that led from this idea into what is now a full script? So after I had that basic idea for the concept, basically, once I had the characters and once I knew that they were going to open a door and find a dead body, which, by the way, um, you know, I, I kind of stole that from the Coen brothers um, because for them, it's, it's, it's a bag of money. What's in the satchel? It's a bowl of money. That'll be the day. So often in so many other movies, you've got these interesting characters and then you give them a bag of money and you see what they do, you know? And that's a great film. And so I've, it, I had to kind of swallow my pride at, you know, in, in a literary way and be like, okay, I don't need to come up with some, you know, super sophisticated, um, like super symbolic thing that happens. Um, I can just have them encounter one thing that pushes them over the edge. And that's the interesting thing is seeing what they do over the edge. It's, it's not the setup that's interesting necessarily. It's what they do with it. So, I mean, like with Breaking Bad, it's he gets cancer. Is your wife? Yes. You understood what I've just said to you? Yes. Lung cancer. Inoperable. The cancer isn't all that interesting. It's what he does after that. So I, I knew that I had, okay, an interesting concept, but I wanted to deepen it. I wanted to add layers. Um, and so naturally, I started to turn to some of my favorite uh, kind of literary stories and it actually came out of that conversation with Michael Walsh when he asked me, what type of movie do you want to make? What type of movies do you want to make? Um, I, I, didn't, I hadn't thought about the type of movies in general. I had thought, I want to make good movies, but that's not a type of movie. And if you go into a pitch meeting, basically in Hollywood, 
everyone wants to put you in as narrow a box as possible. Um, I don't know this from experience. I know this from conversations with people who've been in that pitch meeting. And they say, what kind of a filmmaker are you? And you have to say, oh, I make horror movies. You know, I do um, psychological thrillers. So I need to come up with a, a compelling enough, quick answer to that question. What type of movie do you make? So that's why I turned to Don Quixote. First of all, it's one of my favorite books. I think it's hilarious, um, but it's also one of the most influential novels in history. And it's very influential because uh, Don Quixote is all about um, how we see the world. Don Quixote reads all of these uh, chivalric romances, and that curdles his brain so that now he thinks the whole world is uh, this hyped up chivalric romance where there you know, are damsels in distress and, and all that. But uh, in reality, he's just an old man with a cranky old horse and a tin can on his head, but he thinks that he's a knight. So um, it gets interpreted in all kinds of different ways, uh, which is why I think it's such an interesting book. But for me, the really interesting idea is that idea of having a dream that you believe in so much that it changes how you see everything else. And it blinds you, uh, in fact, to a lot of different uh, things. Um, and so you have this uh, kind of poor self-knowledge where you don't actually see yourself as you are. You think you're something that you're not. And uh, that can either be really tragic or it can be really funny. Um, and it can kind of go either way. Um, and in some cases, it can kind of be tragic and funny. So with Double Bondsman, once I latched on to Don Quixote, okay, so they're Don Quixote. And they have this dream of becoming bounty hunters. Uh, and they believe in it so much that now they start to see the entire world around them um, as if through the eyes of, uh, you know, a, a true crime story. Um, they think that they're living in a true crime TV show or something like that. So when they encounter um, the dead body, you know, they, they have to react like people would in, uh, you know, in a TV show or in a true crime show or in a, um, in a, a police procedural, that kind of thing. And that for me gave me an unlocked uh, new kind of layers of, of meaning where, okay, now I have this idea where maybe one of the characters is more of a Sancho Panza and one of them is more of a Don Quixote. Okay, that's kind of interesting. Um, now, you know, what, what else do they misinterpret? What are, what kind of other, um, you know, false ways are they uh, looking at the world? And then that opened up other references as well to me where I realized, oh, this kind of dynamic happens in, in other movies that I love, uh, like, uh, Hot Rod, fantastic Andy Samberg movie, um, or, uh, Bottle Rocket, Wes Anderson's first feature film which I love Wes Anderson. Rushmore, Wes Anderson's second feature film, and I love Rushmore. Um, and, uh, and even to an extent, uh, Hot Fuzz kind of has a similar element, um, and it's also uh, a buddy comedy. And so I had this, okay, this Don Quixote idea. I had this buddy comedy kind of idea. Um, I had this police procedural background, and that let me um, lean into these different genre influences, which was not something that I have done a whole lot in the past. Um, and so all of those different angles started to open up the story for me in a way that um, let it be more than just kind of a goofy concept. But okay, um, this is saying something a little bit more important about the way that 
we see the world and and why we ought to be careful with um, the type of you know media, TV, books that we that we consume and that we take in, and how that changes our our thinking um, and how you know our our dreams you know need to be tempered with a heavy dose of reality, and that we can't just have this one dream you know that's just sitting out there. Which for me, that one dream is you know is really making movies. I want to make movies, um, and that's why I'm doing this film. Um, uh, but I have to temper that with, um, you know, a heavy dose of, okay, I have a, a wife who, and we're expecting our first, uh, just in like a couple of weeks, which is going to be crazy with making a movie, but I guess we'll do it. Um, so once I had those layers, then I started to see, okay, these characters are not all that different from me. I can see myself in them. And now I can start to, um, empathize with them and, and like them. Cause I think we have to laugh at them for the ridiculousness of their their vision and their dream and their lack of self-knowledge but we also have to to like them and we have to see something kind of appealing um in their um in their dream and in their characters um i mean it's kind of like like michael scott i like michael scott I'm not gonna lie who does like, i enjoy watching him and and he's also like i i kind of feel for the guy <laughs> like <laughs> i can understand where he's coming from when i was five I imagined that there was such a thing as a unicorn. And this is before I had even heard of one or seen one. I just drew a picture of a horse that could fly over rainbows and had a huge spike in its head. I was five, five years old. Couldn't even talk yet. And, uh, and so Michael Scott is another one of those um, Don Quixote characters. Okay, Chandler, you mentioned this is not your first short film, so this is not your first rodeo. You also mentioned that it's your most ambitious, um, and I know that making a film is a lot of work, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Now that you are getting into this process, you know, more involved, uh, has it been worth it, or maybe a different way of asking that question, is it uh, all the work that you thought it was going to be? Is it more or is it less? How has that uh, met your expectations, and has it been totally exhausting thus far? Uh, well, okay. So, yeah, it's, it's been exhausting. Um, has it been worth it? I think so. I hope so. I mean, <laughs> part of, so part of the thing, um, I go back and forth and I have gone back and forth many times over the past month about, for example, whether or not this Kickstarter uh, was worth all the work that I put into like the video behind it and the preparation behind it. Um, Cause it was a lot. And um, so going into this project, I knew, first of all, it was, it, it's the most ambitious um, narrative project. And it's the most ambitious um, from like a script and that kind of perspective. Um, it's not the most ambitious in terms of logistical or budget. Um, which that's actually quite comforting to know. I have sunk lots of lots and lots of hours into this project and s stayed up late many nights. Um, I have probably worked on this, I don't know, um, anywhere from 10 to 20 hours a week for all of 2020 so far. Um, so I don't know, you do the math. That's a number. That's, that's quite a few hours. Um, and... And the other challenge is, you know, I'm working with lots of other people now, uh, which in, on the one hand is really great because my previous short film, Into the Plains, 
I, I did have people behind me, but for the most part during like pre-production and some of the writing and planning, I, I was just in myself by myself in my room. Um, and so now to have, you know, three or four people who have helped me with the script at various times and to have, um, uh, a, a good friend of mine, um, Josh Liebhauser, who had volunteered to, you know, be a producer on the project. Um, and I work with him as a producer on a lot of other, other projects. So it's a natural fit. And then to have another friend who owns a production company and they're all excited about the project, you know, there's just lots of more people behind it, which is great. Um, but it also means I have to be a lot more intentional about communication and managing expectations and, and that kind of thing, knowing that all these people are doing it. Um, you know, most of them either for free or like, we're, we're kind of like covering costs, you know, we're like making, making sure that they don't lose money uh, to do this project, but they're not making any money, you know? So that's all very challenging and um, something that I, uh, I mean, just, uh, there've been many points in this, the past, you know, seven months that I've felt like, is it, is this worth it? I don't know. Am I, am I, am I, uh, am I making a big mistake with this kind of thing? Am I going to be humiliated at some point? Um, there's been plenty of that. Um, but there's also been plenty of really great moments too, where, you know, it's like, oh, people are really excited about this. They really responded to something about this. So Chandler, as you look ahead from the ideation phase to what's coming down the, uh, down the road for you on this project, what's the most daunting thing that lies ahead? What are you most apprehensive or nervous or anxious or excited about? Well, the thing that's on my mind right now is, um, finding the funding for it. Um, which again, sometimes I feel like we've got this in the bag. Like it's not going to be a big issue. I think we have, uh, what we need to pull it off. And sometimes I think, wow, um, this is, this is too, too big. I'm not going to be able to get this, um, the funding that I need and, uh, it's going to all crash and burn. Um, and then probably apart from that on a, just a more personal note, I, uh, I've seen, and, and just in general, making movies reveals to me all of uh, my flaws and all the things about myself that I really don't like. Like I'm bad at, you know, I'm bad at like putting things in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> I'm bad at, um, you know, following through on, on specific types of tasks. And um, I'm sometimes struggle to communicate all that I need to at the right time because I'm afraid of what people will think of me if I say something this way or if I don't say something or uh, or whatever. So, you know, I have that tendency to, you know, to kind of be anxious about what other people think of me, which as a director, people think about you a lot uh, in relation to the project. Um, and I can't let that stop me from making the good decision, the right decision at the right time. Um, so I think, you know, it's daunting to me to think about, I have to make a lot of decisions and, um, at some point people will probably get mad at me. Um, how am I going to deal with that? And also, um, you know, in the moment, like I have to be decisive on set and it's for me, sometimes it's kind of like 50, 50. Sometimes I'm really decisive and I make a strong decision that I'm very confident in right away. And sometimes I kind of like look to whoever's around me and be like, oh, well, okay, what do you think? You know? And um, I don't think that, that is, is necessarily the best approach when 
um, you know, you're like burning daylight and you have to make a decision in 30 seconds and you're, you know, wishing that somebody else can make the decision for you. So there are a lot of things that are daunting. <laughs> well, Chandler, thanks so much for the discussion today. I'm so excited to follow along as this project continues to develop. And you mentioned fundraising uh, in some of your last comments there and how you're a little bit nervous about whether or not you'll be able to raise the funds. And I know you're doing a crowdfunding campaign through Kickstarter. So we're going to dive into that in the next episode and uh, talk about what that process entailed and how it was involved and even hear from one of your major supporters. So stay tuned for that. That's episode two. There's no free lunch. For questions or comments on this episode, send a note to real life at vernacularpodcast.com. That's real with two E's, real life at vernacularpodcast.com.